No boring church here, amen? Hey, everybody stand up with me. Stand up with me. This is, uh, what a great place to be on a Sunday morning in Corpus Christi. Come on. And uh, <laughs> no three poems and out of here, Pastor, man. That's, I love this, man. I love Pastors David and Amber. They're amazing. I love Rock City because, see, your pastor, the heart of your pastor is not about people in the seats. It's about disciples in the streets. Can I get an amen? It's about, it's about, we arrive here at a building, but we arrive as the church. And when we leave, we leave as the church to be the church in culture. Right? Too many churches want people just come here, be here, do that. But it's about being love where you are. It's not about just how high you jump on Sunday morning. It's about how straight you walk on Tuesday afternoon. Can I get an amen? Turn to somebody and say, this is going to be really good for you today. This is going to be awesome. You know, uh, the fact is that you and I live in a nation that seems more concerned about the calorie content of their children's lunches than the character content of their children's hearts. That kind of culture is what's causing us to not have a, a place where we can navigate to. You live on the, on the ocean. You know how if you don't know where you're going, then any navigation will get you there, right? Any, and so people, when we don't have a true north, that's the issue. And so following Jesus Christ gives us an anchor, a place to hold on to, a place in the storms. Amen? Amen. And see, when you were born, the beauty of being a follower of Jesus Christ, when you were born... God had someone else in mind that you were going to touch with your life. See, when you were born, he was thinking of somebody else. When Paul and Silas got broken out of jail in the middle of the night, we talked about it yesterday with the men. When they got broken out of jail in the middle of the night in an earthquake and the chains came off of them and the, and the cell came, when they had their breakout moment, everybody else in prison also came out. There are people in our lives waiting for us to have a breakout moment, for them to find their breakout moment. Amen? And this is it. I want every man in this place, we couldn't do it in the previous service, just a time constraint. I want every man in the whole place, if you don't know who you are, point them out. I want you up here. Just come on up here around me. Just not a straight line. Every man in the whole place. Just every man. Male man. Just every man. Come on up here. Just right around me. Just right around me. Everybody around me. All the men. All the men. All the young men. Young men. <laughs> male. Every male. Come on, men. Here's what we're going to do. All the men in this place are going to pray over everybody else. We're going to pray over the women, children. Because when, when God raises up strong men, it provides a covering, a place of protection, security, and safety. I believe a church that's committed to raising up strong men becomes a place of safety for the community, for single moms, for uh, people in transition, for men and women who need uh, brokenness helped and healed. And so we as men, some of you guys, I don't know if all of us have, have ever prayed out loud, but if you haven't, just go for it anyway. So what we're going to do is we're just going to pray over all of the people who are in here, all the, all the men and all the women and children in this place. Does that sound like a good thing to do, men? Yeah. All right, so all the men, raise a hand up like this. You're gonna, and I want all of you to receive this prayer. And these guys are going to pray over this place, this house. And, and, uh, and we're going to pray blessing, the blessing of a father over this place. Come on, pray, man. Let's pray out loud. Father, we bless the women and children of this house. 
Father, we pray safety and protection. We pray every dream that's in their hearts would come to pass. We pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, for every dream and desire that is unfulfilled to be fulfilled in you. Father, we as men stand up in front of this place and say we will be men who are not predators, but we are protectors. We are men who will speak life, not death. We are men who will stand upright, not walk around in our own selfishness. We are men who will think of others first. We are men who will speak life. Father, in the name of Jesus, we as the men of this place and this house speak not only over every person in this place, we speak over every street and every heart in this city. We speak life over every neighborhood, every place in this community. Let us as men be a shining light to every neighborhood. We pray it in the name of Jesus, to the glory of the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, Amen. Amen, amen. Awesome. All right, men, turn around, give 15 men a high five, and say you're an awesome man of God. Give 15 men a high five. Ladies, give them a hand. Give them a hand. Come on. It's awesome. I love it. Love it. The men's event yesterday was called Everyday Father, and that's who our Father in Heaven is. Every day, every moment, He is there. He's our Father. He's the good Father. When Jesus taught His disciples to pray, it's called the Lord's Prayer, but it's actually the disciples' prayer because He taught them how to pray. They said, how should we pray? And He said, pray this way. And the first thing He said was, pray our what? Our what? Our Father who art in heaven. Now, God's neither male nor female. He is all that is male and female. He is all-encompassing of everything that exists. When he created mankind, he created us in his image, bearing all the things that he is. And so God's the spirit. God is love. But what Jesus did for you and me is give us an image. You don't think in words. You think in images. You think in, and then you, then you express those images in words. So Jesus said, when you pray, don't pray, oh, oh, great sovereign wonder of the universe. You know, whatever. Oh, great one who made stained glass. You know, it's, you pray, our no, father. He, in other words, he made it personal and possessive. This is my dad, my father. Other places it said you can cry out, Abba, father. As, as a child would say, my father. He's the father who's always there. And then one of his writers, one of his men, under the inspiration of his presence, the Holy Spirit, wrote to us in the book called Hebrews, which is in the Second Covenant, or we call it the New Testament. And he wrote this in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. I want you to look at this, and we're going to say it out loud and together. And this is, uh, start with the first part of that uh, verse Hebrews 13, 5. There we go. We're going to start with, see where it says, for he got himself. You see that part? Yeah, we do, Paul. You see that part? Yes, Yes, we do. Okay, great. We're going to start with that, and we're going to read it out loud together. Now, this is God's promise. If you look at all the underlying reasons that, that this is written like this, this is the Amplified Bible. It's not to have a bigger Bible. It's to give us the meaning behind words. In the original translation, in most of our Bibles, it would say, and God said he will be there. Too often, you and I will humanize God and take a word like, I'll be there, sort of like, anybody ever move, like, into an apartment or from into a house or something, and 
you're going to move, and a few people said, I'll be there. Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? Don't point to them. That's why I sit on this side. Cause. But the fact is, is that we humanize God, and when he says, I'll be there, we think, well, he's probably busy with a lot of other people. But God gave us a covenant. Everybody say covenant. That means it's a legally binding agreement in which he says, these are the underlying words, in which he says, I'll be there. Okay? So the reason there's more words is it gives us, actually, like a legal document, it gives us what his word is to you and me as our Father. Let's read it out loud and together, starting with, for he, God himself. Go. For he, God himself, has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not. I will not. I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake, nor let you down. Relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. Can I get an amen on that? Just turn to somebody and say, that's awesome. What a great word. That is the picture for you and I of who God, our Father, is. Many times we say, well, what does God look like? Well, God looks like who Jesus was on the face of the earth. When Jesus was on the earth, he said, I only do what the Father shows me to do. I only speak what the words that the Father gave me to speak. So when we see the life of Jesus, that's our Father. So when he's compassionate to somebody caught in sin, when he speaks life over somebody's life, like Zacchaeus, this guy who's a tax collector and a crook, and he speaks life over him, he didn't look at him and beat him up about his past. He spoke to him about his future. Religion beat us up about our past. Everybody remember that, church? But the reason we're at Rock City is because it speaks the words of Christ, speaks to us about our future, that you have a future and a hope. That's the word of God for you and I. And so, we, so we speak of these things, and that's who Jesus is to us. So when we take these materials, maximize manhood and the other things that we have, and we talk to men about life, we're not talking to them about, yeah, you're, you're, you know, you messed up. You, you know, you don't usually have to tell guys they did. They can tell you, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 I messed up. What we look at it is say, here's maximized manhood. Here's what you can be. Here's how you can grow. Here's how you can change your story. So we wrote a book called Just a Bartender. It's based on the life of Nehemiah. My wife's husband wrote this book. It's awesome. Because <laughs> you don't want to talk about your own stuff. So, so But Just a Bartender is about unexpected people change the world. And it's about the life of Nehemiah and how Nehemiah, who was a slave and a bartender, Bible says in the book he wrote, it says, I was the cupbearer for the king. I figure that's old English for he was the king's bartender, right? And, and so just a bar, he's a bartender and a slave, but he rebuilds the city of Jerusalem, 1,500 miles away. This guy's got no money, no position, but he knows a king. Come on, somebody. Anybody know a king? Amen. And it changes. He literally, this guy, a slave and a bartender, changes the course of world history. 
And God spoke over him and said, I'll give you my favor. And if you read, well, anyway, just get the book. Okay, I'm not going to go into the whole thing. All right, just turn to somebody and say, get the book. It's awesome. Judy's husband wrote it. It's fantastic. I want to show you what we're doing around the world because Rock City, I love Pastors David and Amber. You know, when he gets up, <laughs> Pastor David, because when he gets up, uh, he does this thing, this thing, and then you know dad's in the house. You know what I'm saying? In other words, he's got the heart of a father. You may He may be younger than some of us, but he's got that heart that speaks life. Because a true father speaks security and love, and true discipline always comes out of love. And he, and he speaks faith, and he speaks affirmation. And I love that. You know you have two of the greatest pastors in the entire world. Just give them a hand. They're awesome. I do. I love it. I, Judy and I look at each other. When, when, Pastor Dave, when you get up and you do this thing, we look at each other and go, all right, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> All right. You know, and it's, it's, uh, it's absolutely wonderful. And I love the fact that Rock City and the ministry to men here and the men are involved in, and you are as a church involved in a ministry that's around the world. 134 nations, Christian Men's Network. Let me show you a couple photos of what's happening around the world. This, this first one uh, on the PowerPoint, this first one is in Peru. And these four of your men are going to be commissioned up in uh, Dallas. You've got a number of commissioned men. That means these men have gone all the way through all the materials, have proven themselves faithful, showed up. And this is some men in Peru being commissioned. And so uh, changing the nation one man at a time. When the men change, everything changes. Can you hear all the ladies go, amen? amen. Right? Page 162 of uh, Maximized Manhood, my father wrote, when a man acts like a child, because it's talking about coming to a place of maturity. When a man acts like a child, it forces his wife to have to act like his mother. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right. And we, so that's why we worked hard yesterday on the guys. So anyway, so there's uh, the men. Okay, this is the next one's in Uganda. There's a number of pastors praying for their nation a couple years ago. There's an unbelievable renewal going on. But 30 years ago, the nation was dying of AIDS. Over 30% of the nation was HIV positive. Over 30%. People were dying by the, by the thousands. There were over 2 million orphans in a small nation. They didn't even know what to call it back then. They called it slim. Somebody would just get thin and then die. They didn't know what it was. Found out it was HIV. It was AIDS. 50% of the men were HIV positive. 70% of the military. And the culture had to change. Right? Because the issue was, the way it spread was the promiscuity of the culture. How many of you know the culture had to change? How many of you would agree our culture needs to change? Amen? And so these men took maximized manhood 30 years ago, began to train young men and women of here's how to live. Begin to train fathers, here's how to father your children. They networked 12,000 churches in East Africa and across Uganda. They went into all the schools. They began to change things. The rate of AIDS, remember, over 30%. When I was there a couple of years ago, I asked the United Nations the head of the U.N. Task Force on AIDS. I said, what's the rate of AIDS today in Uganda? Go to this next slide. This is Alex Matala on the left. He's the man who headed up the strategy team. It just started with six men who were on fire and then went to the streets. Amen? Changed everything. Look at this next one. These are two young men captured at the age of 11. They were child soldiers, atrocities that happened before their eyes, and they were a part of rescued when they were 17. Now our men are mentoring them. And they're, and they're teaching them. Both these men have become welders. 
They put a welding shop in the middle of a village in the jungle, and that welding shop becomes the center of starting a church. Sort of like doing a coffee place. That would be a cool idea. Rock City, a.k.a. Coffee Heaven. Amen. All right, so there's go to the next one. And this is Joel Bukenya, 30 years ago, one of the first men on the right, Joel. And I came up on him discipling a bunch of young men, just keeping it going, next generation. Joel, 30 years ago, was one of the first young men discipled, and now he's doing it. Has hundreds of orphans in a school, has three churches and uh, three businesses going. And the rate of AIDS today, when I talked to the UN head of the task force, here's the rate of AIDS today uh, in Uganda. Look at that, 6.4%. Is that awesome, Johnny? Come on, somebody. I mean, the answer is Jesus, right? The answer is Jesus. And they, they took posters, Pastor David, and they did posters all over the nation called ABC. Just said ABC, but everybody found out what it meant. It meant abstinence, be faithful, and Christ. All over the nation, man. It began to change things. The answer is Jesus. Go to the next one. All right, and there's my father, Dr. Ed Cole. Go to the next month. 42 years ago, started this ministry. There's a group of men in Argentina being commissioned. Next March, we'll have a 1,000 men commissioned at the same time in one meeting. It's going to be amazing. There's over 3,000 churches in Argentina, over 3,800 in Brazil. And uh, go to the next one. This is in uh, Cuba, training pastors to disciple men. Because most pastors are taught how to preach sermons, not how to disciple men. So most men are taught just how to sit and listen to a sermon rather than how to study the Word of God. So we've raised a generation of biblically illiterate men. And illiterate people do illegal things. Amen? I mean, that's just kind of goes together. Oh, this is in Dallas. This is one of our, uh, like, Lions Roar coming up, the Global uh, Summit. Go to the next one. This is a a, uh, program in the junior highs in the public schools in Dallas called Men of Honor Using Maximized Manhood. In fact, last week, Tony Rory had 183 young men and women in a junior high in Rockwall, Texas, except Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In a junior high. Come on, somebody. It's awesome stuff. Go go to the next one. Okay, this is Indonesia. Indonesia, uh, next month, Indonesia, which started 15 years ago, will train or disciple their one millionth man will have gone through maximized manhood. Isn't that awesome? And watch this. In that same 15-year span, Indonesia, 330 million people, 82,000 islands, 95% Muslim 15 years ago. Today, over 30% followers of Jesus Christ. Amen? Go to the next one. That's Surabaya. Go to the next one. Uh, This next... That's it. This one's in Vietnam. We'll be there in February. Over 2,000 churches in a communist nation discipling men. Is that fantastic? Go to the next one. Uh, this is in China. This is what part of, this is Rock City's part of this. That's what's awesome, man. You get fired up. Let's start going, yeah, all the time. Okay. This is in China. And China, we can't talk about it much, but it's gotten so large, they told me I can't even go back because I'm on a list now because of the movement that God's doing among the men in China. Isn't that awesome? Go to the next one. This is a man in Vietnam praying for his nation. Go to the next this is uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, a bunch of guys in a men's group like we do here. Hey, flip over to that uh, photo of uh, uh, the Brazil couple. I want to show you something here. Okay, okay. this is in Brazil, Joinville, Brazil. 
This is uh, earlier this year, and they get up in a meeting like this, and they get up to talk about how God's changed their lives through the ministry to men, and, and she's talking about, and so this is Jose and Maria, because in the Portuguese, it's a harsh change, so Jose and Maria. So Jose and Maria get up, and Maria goes first, and she gets up, and the, I'm sitting here with the translator, and he's, and I go, are you sure you got that right? Because she gets up, and she says, I thank God for this ministry. Because for 10 years, and she gets real passionate, for 10 years, every morning I would wake up and pray, dear God, please make me a widow. Pray that, that beautiful little woman right there. She just, every morning she would wake up and pray, dear God. So Jose's standing like here. I'm watching this thing. He's standing here. And all of a sudden he goes, like maybe he didn't know that part of the story, you know. <laughs> And so she shares, and then he gets up, and he says, well, I thank God for the ministry. You know, it's changed my heart, and it saved our marriage, and apparently it saved my life. <laughs> I love that. So I had to do a selfie with him. I said, here, get over here. The meeting's still going on in the background. Turn to John, the 18th chapter. Just as a point of reference, I want to mention something. Most of us know the story because we tell it around Easter time about Jesus and the week of passion about how he went to the cross, defeated death, went to the grave, and the tomb is empty three days later. But I want to start in a garden called Gethsemane. When Judas showed up, which was the man that betrayed Jesus, he showed up there because he knew that's where Jesus would be. Gethsemane, and Pastor David and Amber have been there, and maybe some others have been there. It's a beautiful garden of olive trees. It sits up on the side of a hill across a little valley, looking down on the city of Jerusalem. And in this place, and in that desert heat, in the evening, it would be a cool place. Coolness would be there, and, and it would be a place of refreshing. And in fact, the word Gethsemane means a place of fullness or refreshing. And so Jesus would go there often, and he'd bring his guys, and they'd pray, and they'd spend time together and fellowship and so he was there in a place of fullness. But that place of fullness and, if you will, refreshing, that night on that Thursday evening became a place of betrayal and rejection. And Gethsemane became a place of anxiety and great pain and great stress. And every single one of us has a Gethsemane in our lives. A place of rejection, a place of betrayal, a place that we thought would be safe and then, and then it wasn't. A place we thought, well, I've come to a fullness in my life, and then everything blows apart. Anybody know what I'm talking about? A place of Gethsemane. We thought this would be a safe place to go. We thought we could be here and pray and would have the coolness of the evening and would feel refreshed, and instead we feel rejection or betrayal or disappointment or hurt. Gethsemane. Gethsemane for Jesus Christ a place that had been a place of refreshing became a place of persecution and betrayal. But from Gethsemane, he went to a place called Golgotha. Golgotha, a place called the place of the skull. And on top of that, they placed the cross. In the most agonizing manner, they crucified him. He shed his blood, as David said he would in Psalm 22. As the prophet spoke about, he shed his blood, and that blood sacrifice set you and I free because then he went to the grave and in the grave for the next three days he defeated death 
When they came to the tomb, and as Mary came, and later Peter, as they rushed up, they found an empty grave. So the principle for you and me through the life of Jesus Christ from God our Father is that every Gethsemane will always be followed by an empty grave. Turn to somebody and say, did you write that down? Did you write it down? Did you write it down? Get the MP4. Get the online. Every Gethsemane will always result in an empty grave. Because when God does something, every sacrifice is always about life. Sacrifice in the Word of God is never about death. It's about life. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you life and life more abundant. When Jesus was resurrected from the tomb, you and I also received resurrection life. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you receive what he received. You are joint heirs with him. You receive that same life. Turn to somebody and say, that's awesome. From Gethsemane to Golgotha to an empty grave. Jesus defeated, listen to this. Jesus not only defeated death, he defeated everything that causes death. He defeated everything that brings death. In the Word of God, when Jesus said the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy, quite often that destruction is not, oh, my life is destroyed in terms of physical health. Because when Jesus defeated death, it was physical, emotional, and spiritual. Quite often what the enemy does is try to destroy your dreams or delay your desires or push you off into a place of rejection where you don't even try anymore, where you quit, where you stop. And the enemy then steals the resurrection life out of us by stopping our dreams. David said it this way, Psalm 23. Anybody know that Psalm? The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. Yea, thou I walk through what? The valley of the shadow of death. What's the shadow of death? The shadow of death is when somebody throws shade on your dreams. The See, it's not the valley of death. It's a shadow of death. Anybody feel like me sometimes? You feel like you have your own personal cloud that follows you around? Anybody ever have one of those days? It's like you're driving and you go, man, there are clouds following you? I just have to begin to confess the goodness of God. Thank you, Lord. I thank you. I got enough for a Big Mac in my pocket. <laughs> thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. You know, I got a quarter tank of gas. You know, I mean, thank you, Lord, that I'm breathing. You know, like, it's like a guy called me one night real late, Pastor Dave. He goes, hey, man, hey, man, I need to talk. I need to talk. It was really late at night. We were pastoring a church at our son, Brandon, a pastor's now C3 Fort Worth. He called me, and I said, hang on, hang on. I said, what do you hear? He goes, what? I go, you're breathing. He goes, yeah. I said, okay, good. We got somewhere we can go from then. It's like, just keep breathing. We're, we're going to make it through this. We're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Why? And I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. That's the promise. Hebrews 13, 5, no matter where I go, he's there. He holds on to me. I've got resurrection life. Every Gethsemane, every place of rejection, every disappointment. See, disappointment is a death. 
Disappointment's not based on where you are, but where you expected to be. Oh, and, the, and the level of disappointment, that gap, I, I expected to be here, but I'm here. That's a valley of the shadow of death between you and the place you expected. And that expectation creates all sorts of depression and disconnection. And if we don't take it to the cross, we get disconnected. And disconnection always brings death. Don't stop coming to church just because you don't feel good. The place you need to go when you don't feel good is go to, come on, somebody, just show up in this place. Because there's life here. Call somebody that's in your small group. Call somebody that's in your men's group. Say, hey, man, I got a shadow following me around. Right? Let somebody help you pray over that. That's why, we, that's why this place is called community. This is the community of believers. Amen? Amen? Turn to somebody and say, write all this stuff down for me, okay? Write all this stuff down. He's going too fast. Everything that causes death, disappointment, depression, anxiety, shame, guilt, betrayal, persecution, injustice, put a blank there and fill in the blank. Everything. He defeated on the cross. Just turn to somebody. Just give him a high five. You don't have to stand up. Just give him a high five. Just give him a high five. He defeated death, and we have resurrection life. Here's what it says in John 3, 16. For every Gethsemane in your life is followed by an empty grave. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever. Who's whoever? We got any whoever's in the house? Come on. Who's a whoever? I'm a whoever. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory. Can I hear the word victory? Through our faith, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 2, 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's my father. I mean, that's my dad who did that. That's sacrifice. That's because of who God is for me. He's my Father. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hey, come on. Give me an amen after that one. Romans 5, 8. But God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we messed up, He loved us. Even when we will mess up, He loves us. Amen? He died for our sins that we committed in our past, and the stuff we'll mess up in the future. How many of us are going to live perfect the rest of our lives? I didn't see any hands on that one. Right? Psalm, Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24, part of my life sets of scriptures. It says, it says, the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. Right? I like that one. But the next verse says, and when he stumbles, it doesn't say if he stumbles, it says, when he stumbles. Right? Turn to somebody and say, that should be my scripture right there. That should be my scripture. And when he stumbles, he will not be utterly cast aside, for the Lord uplifts him with his strong right hand. John 16, 33. Jesus saying, I've said these things to you that, in you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. Everybody say, take heart. I have overcome the world. Every Gethsemane is followed by an empty grave. Man, I love that. Love it. That's the word for you and me. Come on, just 
Say, that's my word. That's my word. Just touch yourself somewhere. Just touch yourself somewhere. That's my word. That's, that's my, my word. Amen? Hey, there's a little girl named Sonia. It was the early 1940s. little girl named Sonia, born in the hills of Tennessee. Sonia had 23 brothers and sisters. There's 24 kids in the family. Extreme poverty, born there in the mountains. By the time she finished third grade, she no longer went to school. She was basically illiterate. When Sonia turned 13 years of age, a man from Detroit, 28 years of age, came to Tennessee, met the family, met her, married her at the age of 13. Took her with him to Detroit. She had two little boys, Curtis and Ben. When Curtis was 10 years old and little Ben was 8, she found out that that man had another family also in the same city. She felt betrayed, rejected. She felt fully depressed and disappointed. But she had a saying that she had learned at her mother's knee. And her saying was this, and she held on to it her whole life. If you do your best, God will do the rest. If you do your best, God will do the rest. And there she was as this man left. She prayed over little Curtis and little Ben, and she prayed, God, I don't know where I'm supposed to go or what I'm going to do, but I know that you've got me. And I know you've got these two little boys in your hands, and I pray over them, and I bless them, and I thank you for them. Sonia went to her sister's house in Boston. Little Curtis and little Ben, as she prayed over them, God gave her a plan and a strategy for their upbringing. Because they had felt the same rejection. She said, God, give me a, a, a strategy of how to raise them. She said, boys, she was basically illiterate. She said, boys, I'm going to take you to the library every week. And every week you're going to check out two books. And then at the end of the following week, is before we go to the library again, I want you to give me a report on each of those books. And so they would read her, their mama the books, and they would give her a book report of what they had read. And she did that every week, every week, every week, faithful. They went to church. She allowed them two television shows a week. Sounds like harsh punishment this day and age, doesn't it? I mean, two digital. So let me just put it that way. I don't know if anybody remembers television, but you know, digital, right? She allowed them two programs per week. She said, I want you to interact with us. I want you working on your studies. I want you. And those two boys begin to matriculate well. They begin to grow up well. They grew up strong. They grew up there with their mother's admonition. If you do your best, God will do the rest. Curtis and Ben both went to college and university. Both the first ones in her entire line of family, way back for, for, uh, for generations that had ever gone to college or even finished high school. Little Curtis and little Ben ended up in college. About 15 years later, well, approximately 20 years later, Ben became one of the most famous neurosurgeons in the entire world when he performed the first time it ever happened, uh, conjoined twins who had been conjoined at the head, and he separated them, and both of them lived. God showed him what to do. That man's name is Ben Carson. He's the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development for the United States. And little Sonia, who's gone to be with the Lord, saw her sons grow in God. Every Gethsemane, her rejection, 
her times of hurt and pain and betrayal that she went through, she said, God, this is not going to touch my boys because I trust you. Every Gethsemane is followed by an empty grave. Resurrection life. Can I hear an amen? amen. And Sonia saw resurrection life in her boys' lives, and she got to see it. And she saw him become a surgeon. She saw what Curtis became. The book of Revelation is written by a man who was also betrayed and rejected, marginalized and persecuted. His name is John. John also wrote the book of John, where we see John 18. John was one of the men who was around Jesus. He got to be with him for three years. After Christ left them the commission to go and make disciples, he and the other disciples went out and did that. By now, later in life, John is the only disciple left alive. All the rest have been killed. So great was the witness of John that even the people who were still in authority were afraid of him. He would speak life and resurrection life, and the dictators wanted to hold on to people's hearts, and he was setting them free. And in Revelation chapter 1, we see something really remarkable, because here's, here's here's where that book came from. They took John, they tried to kill him. In fact, they boiled him in oil, and they said that, as the story goes, when they pulled him out, he wasn't dead, he had brand new skin. So it was like a baby's skin. They couldn't kill him. Every time they tried something, the strategy didn't work. So they thought, why don't we do this? Why don't we just put him on an island off the coast, right? This is 2,000 years ago. He won't ever be able to talk to anybody, won't ever cause any more trouble. And on that island, he just writes the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Hello, somebody, right? I mean, the world's always got a strategy to marginalize, marginalize us, but God's got a bigger strategy, amen? And in Revelation chapter 1, here's what it says. Here's what it says. Revelation chapter 1. Give me a little keyboard thing, somebody. Chapter 1. Here's John writing. It says, I was exiled to the island of Patmos. That was the island he was, he was sent to for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. Here's the next one. This is awesome, man. This is John on an island. He's he's the only person. Nobody talks to him. He's got a garrison of soldiers that are keeping him captive, prisoner on the island. And it says, on the Lord's day, I was worshiping in the spirit. And suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches. It says he turned and it looked like somebody who looked like the Son of Man was there. Here's the principle. Here's this man stuck on an island, marginalized, persecuted, betrayed, beaten. Everything that could have happened, rejected by everyone. Here he is all alone. In his loneliness, in his time, and yet his, he begins to worship. Who's there? His Father. He says, I was worshiping on the Lord's day, and the Spirit of God was there. You can't go far enough. You can't be rejected enough by men. You can't be betrayed bad enough that God isn't there in the middle of your life. On an island, and God's there. And then God speaks to him. God will speak to you. I don't... It it can be the middle of the night 
and you're pounding on the steering wheel and you're parked in your driveway and you're saying, God, I don't get it. And God's there. When he created the earth, it says that the earth was without form and void and there was chaos on the earth. It says there was darkness. And then it says, but the Spirit of God was hovering over the earth, waiting for a word. And that word was, let there be light. And there was light. Who was the light? Jesus. Then it says, God spoke to him and said, write this story. God always writes the last chapter in every life who's a follower of Jesus Christ. Whatever story's been written for for you or that you've written and you feel you're in a place of rejection or betrayal, God gets to write the last story. He writes the last chapter. Everybody stand up with me right now. On that island, in a cold, dark, windy morning, John, by himself, kneels and prays. says, thank you, God, for my life. Thank you for your word. And right there, in the middle of betrayal and rejection and disappointment and hurt and heartache and marginalization and nobody loves me and nothing's going right and nothing will ever go right and anything else that we could ever think of, Jesus defeated death and everything that causes death. And in the valley of the shadow of death, God was there with John. And he said, hey, I'm with you. I love you. I'll never leave you, never forsake you. So let's write the end of the story. Everybody bow your heads with me right now. Father, I thank you for this word. The world can be so difficult. The enemy does pound on us. People speak words that hurt us. There have been people like Sonia who have been betrayed because somebody left our lives. And what we thought was a Gethsemane, a place of safety, a place of renewal, a place of refreshment, what we thought was going to be the answer for us became a Golgotha, became a place of crucifixion. But Father, I thank you that Gethsemane always leads to an empty grave. I thank you for resurrection life. I thank you for the power and anointing of your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father, that I am not who people say I am. I am who you say I am. And your word says in Romans, I'm more than a conqueror. I'm an overcomer. I'm victorious. I thank you that Jesus won the victory and that victory is my victory as a follower of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody say amen. Father, I thank you. Raise a hand up right now. Say, Father, I thank you for your presence here in this place right now. Come on, just pray your own words and say, I thank you, Father, for my life. I thank you that you still speak to me. I thank you you love me. I thank you you've never left me. I thank you you've got my back. You're before me, behind me, above me, below me. You've got every side of me. You know me from the inside out and you still love me with a passion. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for a word of hope. I thank you your word for me as I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And I will not fear any evil, for you are with me. So, Father, as I leave this place today, I'm going to walk out bold and strong. And I'm going to go after the dreams you've placed in my heart. Father, I'm going to show up on Friday night and speak prophetically to people. I'm going to show up, Father, because I'm filled with your anointing, your power, your presence. 
if today you listen to those words and you say, I'm not sure I'm exactly there. Pastor's going to come right now and pray with us and pray for you and pray us into a place of new beginnings right now. Lord, for everyone that is feeling the pressing in the Garden of Gethsemane, for everyone that is going through an extremely difficult time, trial, or tribulation, I pray, Lord, that you would comfort them and strengthen them and that, Lord, you would be in their overcoming. Give them the resilience and the strength and the stamina and the diligence to stand firm in the face of adversity, to not shrink back, but to lean in. Lord, we lean in. When the going gets tough, we press. Instead of shrinking back in fear, worry, doubt, or anxiety, Lord, I pray for resilient faith right into the hearts of every single person here. Lord, I thank you that you, through your wind and through your fire, blow away that dark cloud that seems to follow us around. And I thank you that your love and your light and your power follows us around because you rule and reign inside of us. I thank you that you've called us the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And Lord, I come against every demonic lie and deception that's tried to wreak havoc in our minds and our hearts and hold us back from confident, bold faith. I thank you, Lord, that because of who you are in us and because of who we are as sons and daughters, we can walk confidently in your power and your authority and your love and your life, no matter what our external circumstance looks like, no matter what our flesh says. God, I thank you, Lord, that the spirit is willing and even when the flesh is weak. Your spirit rules and reigns inside of us. And I pray, Lord God, that we would rise up. Rise up, beloved. Rise up in who you are in the presence of the life and the fire and the comfort and the strength of who our daddy is. He's the best dad we could ever ask for. And Lord, I thank you, God, that you bring comfort so that we can learn it and know it and bring it to those that are hurting and broken, lost and dying. Lord, I thank you that we get to bring life and light to every injustice in our community. From every hurting child, from every broken child, every fatherless child, every broken family that doesn't know what we know, that doesn't know you like we know you. Lord, show us how to bring that to those dark places and to those children and to those families. Every injustice and every crooked place made straight and justice brought because of justice in our own lives and who we are as your family. God, I thank you for great unity in this house and that no one here will walk through the valley alone. We're not called to do it alone. We walk together with you, but also with one another. And I thank you, God, for a tribe, an army, a family. And I thank you, Lord, that we're not measured the way the world measures. We're measured by our identity and confidence inside of you. And I pray you'd break that man-pleasing spirit right out of this church. Anybody that's worried and afraid of what other people think or say, break it, God. We're not moved by reviews. We're not moved by uh, gossip. We're not moved by what someone else might think or say. We're moved by the word and the voice of the living God and by who we are as your sons and daughters. I thank you, Jesus, for life, love, liberty, health, freedom, power, and a move of the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord God, for signs, wonders, and miracles. And we're not a dead church. We're an alive church full of power, grace, and normal, natural authority. I thank you, Lord God, that you're showing us how to bring healing, freedom, deliverance, and life and power to a broken world. And I thank you, God, that you're healing us, you've healed us, you've strengthened us so that we can walk in the more that you have in store. I pray for strong marriages, strong marriages, strong marriages in this church. That, Lord, we'd be a great, accurate reflection of your heartbeat to our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, and the generations to come. 
I thank you, Lord God, that we know you, love you, talk about you, and reflect you everywhere we go. And I pray for all the teenagers in this church that they would flame on and not try to be like their peers and their friends, but that they'd be that fish swimming upstream when everyone else is going one way, that they would step into uniqueness and identity and call a God that's upon them. Lord, I ask for young Daniels. Lord, I ask for Daniels to be raised up inside of this church, God. Young men full of wisdom and stature that know you and love you and will not bow down to the spirit of this age. I thank you, Lord God, for purity, strength, and confidence in that we will not be swayed or moved, nor will our sons and daughters, by what this world is doing, will be moved because we're part of the kingdom. And I thank you so much, Lord God, for helping us to see it on the other side, the resurrection life and the empty grave. Ain't no grave that can hold us down. And I thank you, Lord God, that it won't, it hasn't, and it never will for eternity. We love you, we thank you, we bless you, and we praise you because you're so awesome. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah! Woo! Come on!